Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Great to be here. Always good to get back to Shankill. I think this is the place where I feel most at home. <laughs> so it's great to be here. If you have a Bible, will you open it at Proverbs chapter 6? Whenever David, I was telling them earlier on here, whenever David Dixon <coughs> sent me a message, tell me that you were working through Proverbs, and when I was preaching, it was at the preach on the whole of Proverbs chapter 6. And when I read chapter 6, I thought, there's at least 30 sermons in there. And I don't think the people in the Shankle would want to listen to 30 sermons on a Sunday morning. And then as I read it through, I thought, well, I could whittle it down to six sermons. And uh, I thought that wouldn't go down too well either. So I whittled it down to one sermon with six points. Okay. So you can count them through and you'll know when you're getting near the end. It means we're going to have to skate through it. But I believe that even in doing that, God has something to say to all of us here this morning through his word. So in in Proverbs chapter 6, I'm going to start off. And I'm going to read the first five verses. I'm going to read wee bits of it just as we go through it. So here's the first five verses of chapter 6. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself. Since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands, go to the point of exhaustion. And give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. And when I read that, I thought, what kind of sense does that make? And it seemed to me like it was saying that you shouldn't be generous and, and that you shouldn't help somebody out that if you have got into debt you better get out of it very quick and, 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 and uh, you shouldn't help anybody who's in debt but then as I, as I began to study it and, and researched it I discovered the Phoenicians were the original loan sharks and uh, they had developed a system where if you uh, if they loaned you money they added interest on at big percentage and it would be like this. If I needed £10,000, I would go to Alec and I would say, Alec, I need, I, I need £10,000. And Alec says, well, I haven't got £10,000, but I'll tell you what, I'll go guarantor for you at the bank and they'll give you the money and I'll sign it. But what has Alec done? He has took on my debt and if I don't pay it, Who's the bank going to go for? Alec. That's right. Um, to get into debt in those days was, was, was worse than it is today. And, and in fact, even under Roman law later on, if you got into debt and you became bankrupt, they had the right to take you and your wife and your kids and everything else you owned and make your wife and kids into slaves. They even had the right under Roman law to have your body cut up in pieces and divided out. So it was a, it was a big thing. 
And, and so what, what this is talking about, where is this clicker? Can you click it on there? All right. What is the lesson from these first five verses? Uh, and as I, I thought, it really is, look after whatever God has given to you. Don't treat it lightly. Don't give it up. Look after whatever God has given to you. If God has given you a wee family, look after it. Take care of it. If God has given you a wee house, look after it. Whatever God has given to you, look after it. Don't give it up lightly. This is not about helping out a friend to pay the electric bill when the bill has come in. It's not about that. It's about looking after. To, to, to owe money to the it was worse than owing money to the paramilitaries. And let me tell you, you know in the Shanka Road, that if you owe money to the paramilitaries, you're not in a good place. And, 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 and this was worse than that. So that's lesson number one here. A, a, a clear lesson for life. And it says in verse 5, you know, if that, is, if that has happened to you, get out of it as quick as you can. Get out of it as quick as you can. Free yourself like a gazelle from the, the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Don't you get yourself in a position where you're not looking after the things that God has given to you. And God has given us all different things. He's given you a wee wife. Look after. He's given you a good husband. Even if he's given you a bad one, look after. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's the lesson that's here. Okay? That's number one. So we're doing all right. Number two. Let's read the next few verses. Verse 6 to 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer. Yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief. And scarcity like an armed man. The second lesson, and it's a lesson from a wee aunt. Now that's not a wee auntie Jean or auntie Mary or whatever, but the wee aunts—they're—they're they're a fascinating thing. They get in everywhere. I'll never forget on my first trip to Peru. I went to bed one night. Actually, it was the first night I ever was in the city of Tacna. And I had a cup of tea before I went to bed. And the boy who was with me, he took sugar in his tea. And I never, ever took sugar in my food, but he took sugar in his tea. And I didn't see it, but whenever he was putting the sugar in his tea, he spilled half of it over the kitchen bench. And when I got up and came down the next morning, you could not see the bench. It was covered in ants. Millions of them. And we aunts, they're wise. And it tells you here why they're wise. It stores provisions in the summer and gathers food in its harvest. We aunts work. They don't think the world owes them a living. 
They work. They carry stuff that's far heavier than they are. In fact, they say, say that, that, that they, they can carry items several times their weight. And they go out and they gather this stuff. And they prepare for the future. They know the winter's coming. And so they put a store in for the winter. And I mean, those who study ants tell me they have gardeners. Ants that are gardeners and they plant stuff in their, in their, 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 their wee hive. They have ants that are undertakers that gather up the bodies of the, of the ones that die and take them away. They, ha- they have ants that, that look after barns and, and they put the stuff in the barn. They have all sorts of jobs. They, they, they have a little colony that is self-sufficient. And everybody does their job. And you know what it says here? Nobody has to tell them what to do. <laughs> it's almost a perfect place to be in. Nobody has to tell them what to do. Everybody knows what to do and they get on and do it. But the main lesson here is really work and prepare for the future. That's what the wee aunts teach us. You're not owed a living. You need to make a living. And you need to get ready for the future. Boy, we've been reminded that by coronavirus. I, I, I thought to myself, I went to Tesco's the week. Well, I have never seen anything like it in my life. People fighting over toilet rolls. <laughs> you believe it? <coughs> People getting ready like, you know... And I thought to myself, I wonder are they ready for eternity? I wonder. Are they ready for eternity? So here's a lesson for you. Let me tell you. Eternity's coming. And whether it's through the coronavirus that takes you out of this world or something else, something will take you out of it and you will go to eternity. And one day Jesus is coming back again and the world will end and we'll all end up in eternity. And you need to be ready for that. And if you don't get ready for it now, it's going to be too late then. So here's a wee lesson from the aunts. They're wiser than a whole lot of us are. Because they know to get ready for the future. So if you're not ready, get ready. There's a message a wee aunt can teach you. And it's a good lesson to learn. Number two. Number three. I'm going to read the next few verses. From verse 12 to 15. A A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, and signals with his feet and motions with his fingers and plots evil with deceit in his heart he always stirs up conflict therefore disaster will overtake him and in an instant he will suddenly be destroyed (coughs) the third lesson don't get sucked in by bad people here's a picture of a villain And he's all mouth. 
Honey, give you a wee wink and a wee come here. And I'll tell you, I go on. Take out only a wee pill, won't do you any harm. Take a few drags, only wacky back, it won't do you any harm. Take another drink, sure, what about it, but it's okay. I'll <coughs> tell you, come on with us. Let's have a good night out. Come on. Surely, come on. We'll not tell anybody. It'll be okay. People who are going to suck you in and get you to do stuff that you really don't want to do. And it's so important that you don't get sucked in by that. We talk about the talk about peer pressure. That's the pressure of people the same age as you. But it doesn't always come from people the same age as you. Sometimes it comes from people who are a lot older than you and should know better. And they're about getting you to go down the same road that they have gone down. And it's not good for you. So here's the third lesson don't get sucked in by bad people there's another proverbs and it says my son when sinners entice you say no that's a good proverb when sinners entice you say no well, that's not easy to do. I know that. Because I've been there. But it's wise advice. And the best thing. Number four. This is going to take a wee bit longer. but Because there's seven things here. The seven deadly sins. Don't do the things that God hates. Verses 16 to 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I think there was a film produced called Seven. And it was all about the seven deadly sins. What are they? What what does God hate? What do you reckon God hates the most? Somebody tell me. What do you think God hates the most? Sin. Sin. Good Alec. Sin. But there are some things here that people wouldn't call sin. And we're going to come to it later. But here's the first one. There are six things the Lord hate. hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. What haughty eyes? What is it? Come on, tell me. Pride. Pride. 
Looking down your nose at somebody. That's what it's about. Looking down your nose at somebody. Thinking that you're better than somebody else. Don't do that. Why? God hates it. God hates it. Haughty eyes. What's the next thing? A lion tongue. Sometimes we think that there's such a thing as we white lies. But there's no such thing. God hates a lion tongue. And Jesus said one time that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. There was no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. When you tell lies, you're being like the devil. And God hates it. So we need to be careful what we say. This little tongue can cause more harm and damage than a forest fire, James tells us. Then number three, hands that shed innocent blood. People who commit murder who shed innocent blood and you may say well I wouldn't do that but in the New Testament you know Jesus equates hatred with murder and one of the things that's so prevalent today and lawful now in this country <coughs> the killing of unborn children innocent blood God hates it and then number four a heart that devises wicked schemes what does that mean? I don't know if you've ever done this or not. I have to say I have. And that's a confession. But when somebody has done me wrong, I could sometimes find myself lying in bed at night thinking how could I get back at them? (laughs) And trying to devise a cunning scheme in my head that I I I could get at them. Don't do it. God hates it. And this tells me, God knows what goes on in your head. And that's scary. Because some of the stuff that goes on in my head sometimes, you know, uh, we're going to say it's madness. Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) But God knows what goes on in your head. And don't waste your time and your brain energy thinking about bad stuff 
and planning bad stuff. In the New Testament, Paul writes, whatever things are honest and pure and right, think on these things. It matters not only what you say, but it matters what you think. And then the next thing is, feet that are quick to rush to evil. People who just can't wait to do bad stuff you want to make sure that you don't do that and then you think the next one a false witness that speaks lies and you, you sort of think well you, you've, do, you've already done that already haven't you no we haven't because this is about slander it's about a false witness it's about not just telling a lie but telling a lie about a person and doing damage to their reputation. And doing damage to them. An attempt to blacken somebody's name. Don't do it. Because God hates it. And what's the next one? This is the seventh one. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. Have you ever met a stirrer? Huh? Have you ever met somebody who stirs up trouble? No matter where they go, stir up trouble. And one person says it. He sows discord amongst the brethren. Now, I'm not talking about the gospel hall down the road. But uh, in the community of the church. You know, I know a couple of people and they've spent their lives going from church to church, stirring up trouble wherever they went. Mm -hmm. And they think that they're doing God's work and they're not. God hates that. That's the thing that he says... It's a, the seventh one is an abomination to him. Above all else, he hates people who stir up trouble. So if you're tempted to stir up trouble, don't do it. God hates it. I said there were six points, there's only five, so you're getting off at it. The next one. The control of illicit sexual desires. Now I think if I don't know who preached last week was it David? Yeah. And did he deal with adultery? All that did he? <coughs> yep. Well, I'm not going to read all the verses that follow here because they're lengthy. But there's two things that come out of it. That are particularly addressed to men. So men, listen up. They're saying two things. Don't waste your money on a prostitute. And secondly, don't steal another man's wife. If you waste your money on a prostitute, you're going to lose an awful lot of money. 
And it says here, if you steal another man's wife, he's going to come after you and you could lose your life. But what's it about? It's about controlling sexual desires. And believe me, in this day and age when we live, you need to control them. If everybody was to do everything that they desired to do, what kind of world would it be that we live in? In Romans 13, Paul says to Christians, Look, I beg you, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Something that you do every day. And as Christians, that's what we need to do. To present our bodies. And if you look at all these things that, that uh, are, are listed here, it's about, about laying with your tongue, about seeing with your eye, about working with your hands. It's all about, it's all about the body. Doing these bad things. So we need to take control of our illicit desires. We've gone through the five points. Not the five points that you know, John. But when I look at those, I say to myself, I couldn't do it on my own. I, I can't do that. I, I have, a, I have a, a sinful nature within me that, that, that keeps trying to pop up all the time and, and, and I can't do it on my own. And if I can't do it on my own, how can I do it? Who can help me? God. Good Alec. I need God. And the only way you'll be able to live right and live the way God wants you to live is to have God in your life. You won't do it on your own. You won't beat the devil. He's too strong for you. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and you all know that. How many times have you tried to break that bad habit on your own? You can't do it. You need God. And the second big lesson is this. I know I fail. And a fall. So I need Jesus. I need Jesus because I know that He died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin. And I I, I rely on His sacrifice. And I need Jesus because he's alive forevermore. And he alone can help me. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. So I need Jesus. And you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. If we're going to live the way God wants us to live. If we're going to live the way it tells us in Proverbs chapter 6, 
We need God. And we need Jesus in our life. And we need to rely on the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. So I hope God has taught you something this morning. He taught me something as I read through this and looked at it. The most important thing is that you're right with God. That you're ready for eternity. And that you're living for Him. Thank you for listening.